So Faith, I have a story for you. It's a little gory, but stick with me. So on 7th September 2007, uh, at night, Flora Igoki was attacked uh, by a gang of three men as she walked home. Flora was a candidate for the North Yemeni parliamentary seat in Meru. During the assault, one of the men sat on her, punching and choking her. Another seared her wrists with uh, thorns and cigarettes, while another one was beating her with an iron bar, causing grievous bodily harm, including breaking her leg and dislodging a disc in her upper spine. They were not done. The men then shaved her head, mixed her hair with feces, and forced it down her throat. As they did all this, they were repeatedly warning her against running for the North Imenti seat. So Flora's case is not unique. In the same 2007 campaign, at least 150 women were attacked and one woman, Alison Duto, was shot and killed. Every woman in Kenya has been affected by physical danger, sexual harassment or assault of one kind or another. I mean, if we were to create a spectrum of violence um, ranging from the very extreme to moderate, I'm going to say moderate because I don't think there's a mild form of violence, every woman in Kenya will place a pin somewhere. Every woman has a story to tell, and the same is true for women in politics. My name is Jacqueline Kubania, and I am here today with my friend and fellow journalist, uh, Faith Onaya. Sasa Faith. Hi, Jackie. We have some really important things to discuss today. This story about uh, Igoki, imagine it gets even worse. I can't believe that. Yeah, after everything that they put her through, uh, a couple of months later, her son was murdered. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that was basically the straw that broke the camel's back because she then quit politics and she left the country. She's now a Canadian citizen and uh, is running for a seat in Canada, actually. I am so shocked by just how vile that crime is. And when you talk about a story, it's touching on so many senses. Hmm. You can smell what was happening. You can hear those men's voices. You can probably hear her screams. Hmm. It's almost like so many forms of violence against one person at the same time. And I think one of the things that is more heartbreaking for me is that this is not a standalone case, you know? Yeah, it, it won't go down in history as the most violent thing that ever happened. Her son died and there are so many other unreported cases and that makes me really sick to the stomach. And it makes me fear for myself, even if I'm just a woman out in the streets not vying, I'm still not safe and for my daughter as well. Yeah, I mean, there's the fear, but also what I, I feel a lot of is anger. How dare they treat her so badly just because she had the audacity to run for an elective seat in Meru? Why would they be so cruel as to make her go through all of these things that she did? One of the things that I sometimes struggle with is asking why in the case of violence because it almost gives it some credence and saying that that there could be a reason that exists that justifies violence against women and girls so sometimes i struggle with asking why mm. because when i ask why it means that there's a reason out there somewhere in the universe and for me i think as a feminist there's never a good enough reasons i mean just looking at the the kenya Democrat, demographic health survey when they were asking even women themselves 
about violence that's meted against them by their husbands. And they were giving such basic reasons like, I think my husband can beat me if I burn food, if I stay home late at night. So I think when we start asking why, I know it's like coming from a point of pain and concern and just trying to understand violence. Yeah. But I feel like I'm at a point where I don't want to understand why. Mm. I just want it to stop. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I guess, you know, where I was going with that was, um, why would we let this happen at all? Like, in what universe is, is this okay to do? Yeah. You know, I'm glad that today we are joined by the Honorable Pacifica Lucy Ongecha. And Pacifica is a nominated member of the Kambu County Assembly and also a human rights defender working to respond to cases of gender-based violence. She's what we call an all-round women's rights activist. Mm -hmm. So welcome to Insiders Outsiders, Honorable Pacifica. And allow me to ask you, what would you call yourself, an insider or an outsider? I am an insider because I actively participate in everything that happens within uh, the range of uh, gender-based violence for the women in this country. You have been at it for 20 years as a responder, as an activist, and finally now you have said that you are an insider fighting gender-based violence from the inside. Let me start by asking you a very basic question. Why is fighting violence so important to you that you've been doing it for two whole decades? Fighting violence is important to me uh, because it is a calling and I want to uh, categorically say here for you to be a gender-based violence responder, you must have the call for it. I have passionately done this over the years because it is a calling and I always have the, the will and the passion and I also feel so touched when I hear of a case of gender-based violence. And when I started fighting it, I used to do it haphazardly because I didn't know the protocol to, fall, to follow when undertaking this. So uh, Groots Kenya came in and trained me on how I can uh, fight and uh, respond to gender-based violence. So I really felt the need to do it, and mostly for the women because they are so vulnerable. And I realized that so many people in this country don't know that they are protected by the law. So that is why I came in to uh, sensitize them and make them aware that the law protects them and each one has a human right to live in a comfortable atmosphere. So I do this because it is a passion and I do it because I follow the law and the law protects everybody in this country. It's unfortunate that you have uh, recently experienced violence yourself. Can you tell us what happened? I have experienced violence uh, several times, but the one I experienced uh, lately is, uh, was unique and uncalled for. I was uh, violated by a colleague. We were attending a meeting. A meeting that had been called uh, for uh, in, in line with the work uh, line of duty. And while in the in the meeting, because we differed in ideologies, my colleague uh, felt that uh, I, uh, I needed to follow the direction that he had taken. And as a political uh, leader and a woman leader for that matter, they always imagine that as women, we are vulnerable and can follow any direction that they would wish to. So when I decided to take the other direction, Unlike what they had desired, he hit me with a bottle of water because imagine that he would intimidate me for me to follow the direction they had desired. But that would not intimidate me and that would not change my stand. I took my stand and will still maintain my stand and will follow the due process to ensure I get the justice that I desire. I applaud you for going ahead and reporting the case. 
So one of the things that we know about violence is that it thrives in silence. A lot of people who experience violence are afraid to come forward. They are afraid to say anything about it. And sometimes they are even stigmatized and ostracized for speaking up against violence. So I applaud you for doing that. So what happened after you reported? What I did, uh, because I am a responder, and I responded to several cases of uh, the women and the children in this country. And mine uh, was also the same. So I took the necessary steps. I went and reported to the police. I have an OB to that effect. I went and that, uh, I was attended to in the hospital because that is the next protocol. And I am following up. I am pursuing this case uh, to the core to ensure I get the justice that I desire. And I also linked up with the Groots Kenya, which is the organization I work for and work with to fight for the rights of women and children in this nation. And uh, we did a protest because we cannot sit back and see our women being violated and uh, celebrate. So we did a protest to that effect and I presented uh, my views on how I felt about this uh, act and we are pursuing it and the women are behind me so we are not leaving any stone unturned. Let's go back again to the fact that you are a politician now fighting violence as an insider. In your opinion, do you think violence presents itself differently now that you are a politician compared to when you're on the other side as a responder and as an activist? I would say uh, violence is violence, but the only difference is that um, when you're out there, sometimes you'll not know on, uh, I mean, uh, what steps to indeed take. Because uh, when I do response, most of the time you realize that when you're um, rescuing the women out there, they don't have uh, the, uh, the, the resources for them to undertake any steps. But for me as a politician, as I've uh, categorically said here, I am going to follow up these cases, uh, this case to the core because I have the resources, I have the support, everybody is following me up to ensure that I follow the justice. But most of the time out there, the women don't have anybody who is supporting them. Unlike, of course, our organization, which now follows up. We follow up these cases to, uh, to ensure they get the justice. But a common woman out there doesn't have anybody who follows up. So sometimes along the way, they will give up and they will not get the justice they, uh, they desire. So for me as a politician, it is different because everybody is excited to, to, uh, to ensure, to support me and ensure that I get the justice uh, that I desire. I would still want to know from you, as a woman in politics, do you think that you are more vulnerable than a woman who's not? Because you're in the public eye, uh, there are certain people that are seeing you differently than how they were seeing you before. So what's your take on that? Women in politics are more, vul are vulnerable, are more vulnerable to, uh, to violence because, you see, um, the men always want to be in the position of decision-making. And as women, uh, the constitution is very clear on the leadership position and we are supposed to take this up without fear of victimization whatsoever. So when they realize that women are coming up and standing up in the positions of a position of taking the leadership, uh, the men will always come in and try to intimidate us, to intimidate us. And uh, the women are so vulnerable because the men want to keep us aside. They do not ask to take these positions. So yes, uh, there is a lot of uh, violence on the women in politics. And uh, as I have done this uh, response for the several years I've done it, we have had so many cases of women uh, who are vying. And it is more vulnerable because they will uh, put in cases that are not neither here nor there so that they intimidate you so that along the way you give up. But what we are saying, we are encouraging our women that we will hold their hands. It is happening all over, but we will not allow our women to be intimidated 
And that is why, as responders, we are going around encouraging the women to come up. The law is protective on them and they should take these positions and move on. I really like what you've said about women needing to know that they have support even as they go through some of these very difficult experiences uh, with uh, violence. And now, you know, sitting in, in, in the county assembly and uh, with interactions with your fellow uh, representatives, um, have you had instances where, you know, uh, women politicians also experience intimate partner violence? Because this is one of the more common forms of violence uh, that women experience. Have there been cases outside of the public sphere, you know, in, in private, uh, in their homes, in their bedrooms, uh, where they report this kind of violence to you? Uh, of course, uh, we have had uh, cases of uh, intimate uh, uh, violence, uh, which have been reported to us. And of course, we normally are uh, just a follow-up to ensure that uh, they get uh, the justice that they desire. And as you ask this question, uh, you talked about uh, the violence in uh, the county assemblies. And as we talk about uh, the re re sexual relationships, I would also want to mention here that uh, sometimes as women leaders, we are intimidated to a level that if there are any positions within uh, the pol political sphere, for instance, in the county assembly, you are intimidated to a level that if you have to get any a leadership position, you're intimidated to have relationship with the leaders within the county assemblies so that you're given any political, I mean, any uh, leadership position within the assembly, which as women leadership, uh, we cannot accept because you have to be given a position because of the capacity you have. You went there, uh, you went into the county assembly because you had the capacity. By virtue of having that capacity, any positions of leadership that are within that uh, reach, you are supposed to be uh, to access these uh, positions. You're not supposed to be intimidated uh, to a level of being told you have to engage into sexual uh, affairs for you to get any position. So what we are saying, the women have to uh, have to stand firm without uh, losing focus of uh, why they went into the county assemblies and being diverted uh, by sexual advances. Yeah, um, I, I I am with you here, Hashimiwa, because there's this um, need to uh, to to have to submit to approaches from men in the in the in the workplace you know is something that's been very common even in spaces outside of politics uh, so um, I like that it's coming out a lot in the county assembly about you know women deserve these seats deserve these positions uh, heading committees being members of committees by their own right by their own merit without you know give sexual favors or succumb to sexual harassment in order to to get ahead um, but for women to even get those seats in the first place, they've got to campaign. And uh, one of the things that our studies show us is that um, around the clock security is a huge expense that women bear because, uh, you know, they, they, they have to have security on them at all times to help um, protect them against uh, the, these kinds of violence and others on the campaign trail. What has been your experience with that? Yes, um, I would want to uh, say that uh, most of the time there has been that notion of uh, that any woman who gets a, a nomination to the county assembly, that uh, she must have involved herself into a sexual affair with the, the male counterparts within uh, the uh, political sphere for her to get that opposition. I want to categorically state that I had sweared if that is the way, the route I would undertake for me to get a position into the, uh, any nomination space, I would rather not get it. So I want to categorically state that I got my position by virtue of the work I had done for the uh, ruling party, UDA. I'd worked for them and that is why 
they gave me that position. And as I come to your to a question that uh, indeed um, the women are being violated all around as they uh, fight for these uh, positions and uh, there is a security risk all over. So what we normally do and my experience has been that uh, anytime uh, you experience any risk of uh, uh, any violation, we normally advise our women to ensure that they are on high alert because um, if you open up yourself to any risk, you will be violated. And anytime we get contacts of uh, the security arms in our country, so that anytime you, are, uh, you, uh, you um, come across any risk, any small risk of a violation, you report immediately. And the good thing is that uh, the security arms are always available to ensure that we get all the security uh, measures that we would desire because uh, as responders we have had so many reports about what is happening within our country so we work we network with the security arms so when we realize anything we report again we don't access uh, security um, sites because as women we are more vulnerable so we don't access our security sites because it will be a security risk to to us as women. So we ensure if we are going into any security risk uh, uh, zones, we are surrounded by people who can protect us. Those are the measures that we undertake. So um, Heshimiwa, going back uh, into that campaign season, uh, maybe yours and, and, and that of other women, would you have a sense of just how much it costs, you know, uh, this uh, security, having to have the security detail and perhaps maybe not even just in the campaign, but in the course of the work itself, like you said, you've got to have security when Whenever you're going into these places where there's a bit of a risk, would you maybe break it down for us in, in terms of actual numbers? How much does it cost to hire security for a day, for instance? I didn't specifically say it's about hiring, but uh, what we do, for instance, I would talk about from my own experience as a Pacifica. We have a network of uh, men whom we work with in groups Kenya, men who believe in women leadership. So we work around with these men. Anytime you're moving everywhere, you have the support of these men because they believe in your leadership. They believe that also the women need protection. The women need uh, to be in leadership spaces. So uh, they will always be around you. If you have to go to um, places for meetings at night, because sometimes some of these strategic meetings are done at night, they will always be around you to ensure that you are safe. So it does not entail uh, uh, use of any resource. Because they are within our network, they are within the the, the grass, uh, the grassroots Kenya movement. So it does not entail a cost, but. Uh, for the women, uh, that uh, the women who need to use resources, which I would not give figures because as an individual, I don't use resources. I use the network of Groots Kenya, which is all over. So that is what I use as a, as an individual. I don't. I could. I would not give figures because I don't use a resource. That's great, Mashimiwa. And now circling back um, to what you'd said earlier about your own experience with violence, and you said that uh, you know there's there are steps that women need to take when they have been, uh, when violence has been meted against them. Um, perhaps to now our listeners uh, who, who who are tuning into this conversation, what would you say are, you know, these ordered steps that you need to take immediately you've been a victim of violence? I would say um, the process of uh, any person who has been violated differs from one case to the other. I am saying this because one person can be violated and maybe they are bleeding. This person would first of all and, and uh, need to arrest the bleeding. So you would first of all start in a hospital. But in normal circumstances, in any violation, you're supposed to first of all report to the police station, obtain an OB because this is the first step to guide the next uh, the next uh, steps. Because after this, you then go if you need medical attention 
attention, you will now go to the hospital where you will be attended to by the health practitioners, after which they will uh, guide you on how you need to fill a P3 form. A P3 form is what directs on if you have had any injuries, and this is what will be used in a court of law uh, to determine uh, the degree of the injuries that you obtained. And this is what will determine uh, the judgment and the justice that you desire. Sometimes you may not uh, directly report to the, uh, I mean, you may not go to police because some of these cases need uh, uh, attention of uh, the area chief. So sometimes you may report to the chief based on uh, the, the, the nature of the case. Because I said it differs on, uh, from one case to the other. Some of the cases just need the attention of the chief. But most of the time, if it is a case that needs to go to, uh, to, go to the court, you need to report to start with the police to obtain the OB, to go to hospital if you need to go to the hospital. Because again, some of the cases don't need uh, to go to hospital. Again, some of the cases, as you go through the, uh, the OB, you go to hospital, some of them need some guidance and counseling. You get some cases and this person is traumatized. You need to take them through some uh, psychological therapy. So again, uh, we have uh, in our network, we have uh, um, uh, a counselor who will take uh, the, uh, the culprits, uh, I mean the, um, the survivor, through some counseling um, process for them to open up and you get a lot of information and uh, guidance on how you, you take the next steps. Again, some of the cases when you rescue, you realize that this person cannot go back to where they were, where they have been violated. They are at a risk. You need to think about how you take them into a safe space. So again, that will be guided by the information you get from uh, the survivor. So those are the steps that you undertake as now you follow up until you get to the, uh, the justice system of going to court once you have all that information. And uh, Pacifica, did you ever get an apology after that incident happened to you? I didn't get an apology. But later on, I got information that uh, they were planning uh, to, after they, I did the demonstration uh, with uh, the members of uh, the public, they had planned to, uh, to do a, 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 a demonstration and tarnish my name instead of uh, even undertaking an apology. So I told them to bring it on. We will uh, face it with them. Was this incident surprising to you, you know, given that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a very high profile uh, leader? Right. And, and you've got all of this history of all of the work you've done against uh, gender based violence. So for it to happen to you um, at that platform, did it surprise you? And what did it teach you? It surprised and indeed intimidated me because I've never at no one time have I ever experienced such uh, in a public in a public place. So I was surprised. And uh, to date, I have never come to terms. But uh, like I said, uh, since I am uh, pursuing it and I'll still pursue it to the core, uh, let's wait and see how it unfolds because um, I'm not, I didn't take it easily. And uh, this should be a lesson to the many other uh, politicians that feel they can intimidate the women leaders and uh, make away with it. Okay. I wish you all the best with that fight. And uh, here at uh, Insiders Outsiders, we are rooting for you. Thank you. So Faith, uh, shall we look at some uh, statistics about uh, violence? Yes, let's do that. So women have been participating in uh, politics since uh, post-colonial Kenya. And um, violence has existed since that time to date. It's uh, in different forms and different spheres. Now we're talking about online violence, which didn't exist, let's say, even 10 years ago. So uh, in the 2017 election, uh, the Kenya National uh, Commission on Human Rights 
documented at least 200 cases of sexual violence. And this is talking about even gang rapes. Yeah. So after physical injuries, uh, the second most um, sort of like uh, insidious form of violence is sexual violence against people who are even just intending to vie, even just showing intention to vie, seems like it's a threat uh, to especially male politicians and their supporters. And in uh, 2016, there was a survey done in uh, 39 countries. This is now the, the global, uh, the global figures. We know that at least 82% had reported that they had been violated and especially uh, psychological violence. So it comes in different forms. It looks like the warfare comes in different forms. And even physical violence affects you uh, psychologically, affects you mentally, affects you even uh, socially. And then uh, in 2022, the African Woman and uh, Child Services, uh, Feature Services, showed that uh, among people who are harassed online, the ones who experience the most uh, online harassment are women in politics. And it's also because they are in the public figure, they are in people's faces, and somehow that aggravates online cyber bullies. And just giving my own experience as someone who was born and uh, raised in the Moi era, I used to see uh, the certain video of Wangare Madai being beaten and her hair being pulled out. Uh, and these were by policemen. They're not even by goons. It was being meted out by the state. And this is an, an image uh, that really stayed with me over time. And uh, one of the things that I usually tell any politician that I met is that I really respect you even putting yourself out there because it's not easy. Because the minute you put yourself out there, you're exposing yourself to a certain level of violence. And I remember when I was vying for a small seat in a board and uh, it was an elective seat at the Kenya Editors Guild. And I really had just a small taste of what online violence feels like because people came at me on social media, on WhatsApp, just asking me to step down in one way or the other and bringing all sorts of accusations. So I applaud you for, for staying in the fight and for fighting back because a lot of times women will retreat and give up. But just seeing you fighting back is really inspirational for us. Yeah. So Faith, uh, th that's interesting about your own personal experience uh, when you were vying for this position. Would you be uh, comfortable going in a bit more detail to tell us um, what exactly happened in this particular case and uh, what it meant for you as, as a woman finding yourself uh, in that position? I'm just going to touch on it briefly because um, it was an elective seat. We uh, put in our nomination papers. I got uh, nominated and we had to campaign just in like in a normal campaign, but in a smaller setting of uh, Kenya editors. And I got to put my, um, what do you call them? In Kiswahili, we say Sarah. In English, we say it manifesto, manifesto. And one of the things that... Uh, at that time, I think I had been gifted with that my opponent didn't have was that I was a good public speaker. So I was able to, just in that small campaign period, sort of sway voters and we tied during the elections. They said, you have to go for a rerun. So that's where the mud slinging started. And I was like, should I, must I? I keep writing articles about women not giving up and staying their ground and staying put. But just waking up every day to people saying, ah, Faith on this. Faithonea that in our WhatsApp group or even online and it felt so, um, it wasn't a physical attack, but it felt so violent. And it turned out to me, it turned into stress 
it turned into gastritis. That was the first time I was going through gastritis in my life. I was like, am I going to die because of politics? Is this, you know. Yeah, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yeah. So um, I really respect people who, like you, Mahesh, who are staying put, you know, who are standing up to be counted because we know it's not easy. And thank God that uh, I think it's, uh, I'm also grateful that organizations like groups exist because you need that level of support. You cannot do it alone. No, absolutely. And uh, it reminds me of, you know, uh, what you said about women just withdrawing from these uh, positions when it becomes too much and uh, it's in a bit to protect themselves, right? And uh, also, Mishimia, what you said about the kind of support that is available to women, the kind of um, avenues that they've got, uh, you know, to uh, to help them in their um, political careers, to create a space for them where they can go and um, and be mentored, to open up um, these channels of complaints, and and uh, and especially how you broke it down about okay, so you've been violated, you've been attacked. This 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 is what you need to do. Um, to 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 make sure that you get justice, and now um, I, I think it's as a result of this that we are, we still have women persisting regardless of of what has happened, you know. And what I want to ask you now is about highlighting more of those support mechanisms that exists for women when they face violence, and um, how exactly they are able to navigate this violent landscape. Uh, in a way that they don't keep being re-victimized and they don't uh, needlessly suffer um, feeling all alone like they've got absolutely no support. Thank you. Um, uh, like I mentioned, um, uh, as an organization, Groots Kenya, we have uh, on over time do, be doing, have been doing a lot of sensitization because like I mentioned earlier, most of our women have not known the mechanism to undertake when they go through violation. So it has taken a lot of uh, uh, awareness, sensitization, and taking them through what process they can undertake when they are violated, which we have not given up yet. We are still going to do it. And it calls on so many other organizations to come on board because we have not been able to reach uh, uh, everybody, of course. So we are saying uh, we need so many people to come on board so that we do it together. We unite like uh, the, 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 the 16 days of activism always talks about. We need to all of us unite and reach out to so many people, so many women out there, so many women in the villages, so many women politicians. Some of them give up along the way. They don't follow up on their cases. They feel desperate uh, when they are attacked. So we need to uh, keep encouraging them, keep supporting them. And uh, like Groots Kenya, we have responders in all our regions. In all, we have trained responders who are in all regions. So that when you are uh, attacked, when you have any violation, you have somebody within reach that you can talk to. Because some of these people don't report because they don't have anybody within reach. Before they get to a police station, it may take some time. So we have our responders within reach whom you can talk to. And they will easily um, handle your case and take you to the next step of, uh, of uh, the protocol of how your GBV case can be handled. So that is what we need many other partners to come on board so that we do it together. So that we build a strong network that we can work together in partnership to ensure that everybody around is feeling secure, feeling that somebody is taking care of them. 
I mean, that's very, very important work that uh, Groots is doing, as well as all of the other champions and activists against gender-based violence. But also, I feel like there's a space for government itself, you know, to joining this fight to lead this fight from the very front and so um in in looking at at the state of the uh, of the world when it comes to uh, violence against women we found that only bolivia the country bolivia has a standalone law criminalizing violence against women in politics do you think mashimiwa that we 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 have any hope at all of having something similar enacted uh, in, in, in the Kenyan government, in the Kenyan parliament. Uh, before I answer that, I want to say a government in a bid to fight a GBV, they formulated uh, technical working groups, which was a step in the right direction. And we were so excited when they did this. But unfortunately, uh, this was done. And most of the people, like I said, when I started my conversation, is that... Um, Gender-based violence is about a call. It is not something you can do because it is just you're just uh, employed. You're just doing it for the sake of, of it. It is something that you have to be passionate about. Unfortunately, the gender-based technical working group, most of the people in it uh, who are from government are people who are doing it because they are departmental heads. So it does not, they cannot deliver as expected. I don't know how that can be changed because then they will come in with a passion to undertake the GBV cases, to undertake the GBV issues that are within uh, the, the, the uh, jury discussion. And I want to say, like you've asked, uh, um, of course, I appreciate that uh, Kenya has most some of the best uh, regulations of uh, sexual violation, you know, gender-based violence, but they are not being followed up to the core. We want to see people are being... Uh, uh, jailed, people being, uh, I mean, some justice being undertaken. Some of these cases are, taken too, are taking too long. And when you are the victim of uh, such a case and it is taking several years, you give up, you may give up along the way. We want to see, uh, I mean, the, these cases being hastened so that, I mean, even the victims can feel, yes, there is something that is happening. We want to see a stringent measures. Uh, but the political uh, uh, cases, uh, the violation of the political uh, uh, spaces of, for women, because then this will encourage more women to come up. We are saying as a nation, we want more women into leadership. And the two-third gender rule needs to be realized. It cannot be realized if the, the, the few women that are coming in are being intimidated and nothing is happening. We want to see these people that are undertaking this uh, violation being, uh, being jailed. This will be a lesson and they will give the women the space that, that they desire. So we've got strong laws. We are just not implementing them. Yeah, the implementation uh, part of it is quite an issue because we go round and round in circles as a nation without following up, uh, without implementing them to the core. You've said that one of the most valuable things to uh, uh, a survivor of, of violence is knowing that there's progress in their case when they report in court and that they feel supported throughout this entire journey. So Faith, I'm going to ask, um, you know, to, to go on, a, on an exercise in imagination, right? Yes. So what will it look like, a world free of violence against women politicians? Wow. I think uh, a world free of violence for women politicians would mean more women actually showing up to vie for different positions, to speak up, you know, because they know that being up there they won't be objectified. Someone won't tell you you are beautiful. 
in the middle of camp your campaign. They won't be asked about their husbands. They won't be asked about their children. They won't be asked about their tribe. Because all, even the way they are dressed, the way they look like, like it will mean that they will be, they will feel safe and they will feel hard and that will have them in leadership positions. Because I keep saying that research has shown over and over again, like having women in leadership positions actually changes the world. All these small, small things that these male politicians are struggling with. If there are, if you had a, a woman in these leadership positions, we'd see so much of a difference. We even saw it during COVID-19 when we saw female world leaders making such a huge difference in just switching policies, in just being a woman who, because a woman thinks differently. They feel differently. And yes, we say that they are nurturing and that happens as well when they're in leadership positions. So they will feel safe. They will feel, um, they will feel like it's a place that it's for them. Because right now, leadership feels very male. And just to get there, it takes so much work. There's a whole village. I would say there's a whole village behind you, Mashimiwa, to get you to this space. There's a whole village. There's a whole lots of resources, lots of people behind her. But it will, it will mean that even without resources, a woman can stand and fight. That's what it means for me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Mishmira, you, you, you said that uh, you've got men in your network and these are allies. They're, they're the people who are playing this very important security role as, as you go to places that are, might be a bit risky for you as a woman. So, uh, and for you, how would you imagine a world free of violence against uh, women and maybe women in politics in particular? What does that world look like for you? Like Faith has mentioned, uh, women will feel uh, safe uh, in a safe space for them to come up and present themselves for their elective positions. Unlike today, when they feel insecure, unlike today, when some of them are even objected to get into these political spaces by their spouses, because their spouses are feeling, if my wife gets into this space, uh, she's insecure. But if we don't, if we have a free world, a free of uh, gender-based violence, the male will let the women that have the capacity come in and present themselves into these political spaces. Again, uh, when we have uh, many women, we will tell ourselves, yes, the country will uh, we will have e equality. And we have when we have equality, this tells us that um, every person will feel represented. And like today, when we, women are feeling less represented. And uh, as you said again, I want to support that when policies are formulated, the policies will be formulated with the aspect of uh, gender aspect in involved. We are thinking about the women. The women know more about what the women need. We will not expect the men to come in and talk about what the women need. They will not. They don't know better. So when we have the representation of our men, our women in this place, in these spaces, then we will have. We will feel safe and comfortable. And when you feel safe and comfortable, you have room to even engage in economic activities because you know our women are there representing us, formulating policies that will guide us towards the right direction. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a, has been a very interesting conversation. And uh, thank you so much for being here today, Mishimiwa. Thank you for sharing your experience, sharing the experiences of other women. And also thank you for fighting against gender-based violence and fighting as an insider, like you said. But perhaps what I want to speak to as well in terms of violence I feel like uh, sexual violence is one of the worst, worst forms. It affects so, so many things in a woman. But the other place where, again, there's so much violence that has been reported is 
the online space. Yes, Twitter. Yes, Twitter. Mm. Yes, let's call the platforms by their names. Mm-hmm. I know there are some academics who've called it technology-assisted violence against women. Digital violence. Digital violence. I don't think a violent person needs to be assisted. They would be violent anywhere. It's just... They are enabled. Yeah, they'll find a way. Yeah. They are enabled. They are enabled to to meet out violence. And um I remember reading this study by the Africa Women and Child Future Services that showed that women politicians are among the most harassed online. Mm. The most harassed online. And um one of the politicians that stands out is uh, Beatrice Elachi. I know that she tried to stand her ground but eventually resigned. And I remember listening to her speak one day and she was talking about why she left Twitter. Mm-hmm. Can we imagine waking up every morning to being trolled online over and over and over again exactly right and 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 people saying the most vile things and and perhaps one of their perceptions has been that oh it, because it's just people saying things it doesn't really matter like it, it, it it's not the same as someone beating you or uh, raping you you know but being exposed to that kind of relentless trolling online that that does something to you. And it's so unfortunate that those scars are not visible, you know? They're not, and uh, they're not taken very seriously. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about Twitter especially, is there has been so much work uh, that feminists on the platform have, have tried to do to make that space a little bit safer for women, yes. right? There has been so much uh, activism. And because Twitter is also such a great platform for, for, for that kind of work, but still, it is so unsafe for women, um, even despite the, all of that work. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I remember I was reading a story in The Nation, and it was a story about online violence and it, about women in in, uh, in politics as well. And um, there's this member of parliament who used to be a journalist, uh, Gadoniwa Omchomba. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And she took action. She was bullied online. She said... I'm going to report this. I'm not going to take this lying down. I'm going to report this. And there's actually a desk at the, the DCI that is supposed to help people when they have been bullied online, they have been violated online. And she went there and she reported. She was like, look, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. This is how it affected me. And the question that the person at that desk asked her is, were you raped? Oh, wow. Yes. This is on record. Wow. They asked her, were you raped? So, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you are not raped, you go back home and continue with your business. Sukosawa. Sukosawa. Yeah. yeah, where is the blood? Mm-hmm. That is the level at which online violence is carried in this country. And this is the DCI. So why are you going to go with your problems? Right. And one of the things that women are told over and over again is report. Yes. Report, report, report. Exactly. So if you do everything that you're supposed to do and you go and report, but then that's what you get. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. So we've been talking about violence against women in politics. And I think as a woman in politics, you don't just come alone. You come as a package. Sometimes you have a child, you might have a husband, your family, everyone is affected. And in Igoki's case, it was an extreme case and it's very unfortunate, but her son paid the price. He was just 18 and they killed him. Oh my goodness. As a mother, I cannot even imagine the level of pain as we said earlier, in a, in a patriarchal society, when it's a woman who's leading, then it means that the man is quote-unquote weak. I remember in the case of uh, Sophia Abdinur, the former MP for Ijara constituency, 
This is what people uh, told her husband. Now wear the skirt. Let Sophia wear the trousers. My goodness, that imagery of trousers. I know. As, as a symbol of power. As a symbol of power. As in, we even have our identities mixed up. I mean, who came up with this trouser thing anyway? It's a result of colonialism and our integration with other cultures. Men used to wear, didn't used to wear trousers before. Yes. So it's even a baseless accusation. The Scottish men wear skirts all the time. Who tells them <laughs> anything about it? I mean, and women wear trousers on a daily. It doesn't really exactly. matter, you know, what position that they hold in society. It's just clothing, exactly. you know. But, but there we go. It's being used as some sort of uh, uh, salvo. Um, in this attack, consistent exactly. attack, anything at all that they can use, then they want to use it. Exactly. And one of the problems I've, I've had sometimes with uh, sexual violence is when rape is used as a joke, quote unquote, you know, um, as a campaign tool, as a weapon against women. And there's something that uh, Edward, Sifuna, Edward Sifuna said about Aisha Jumwa. He said she was not attractive enough to rape can you imagine that somehow someone wanting to rape you is supposed to be some sort of compliment yeah you're, you're, you're beautiful or you're what is that well, it is so distasteful it is it is in another in the in the ideal world this person should not be even be allowed to live amongst us like how are you reasoning at someone who's not a human being. Yeah. And you know? I mean, it's 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 funny because it's it, it always seems like the very worst amongst us are the ones who, who are given these public platforms exactly. to lead or to address us. Because, I mean, we you remember that interview uh, where Miguna Miguna was on TV mm -hmm. telling Esther Pasaris that everyone wants to rape you. Exactly. Everyone wants to rape you. How is that okay in any universe, like, make that make sense to me. It doesn't, and that is the world that we are living in. And that is the world which female politicians are operating in. It's yes. a jungle. And that's the kind of world that creates, or rather makes it okay for someone like Maheshimiwa here yes. to be attacked. Exactly. As she is doing her job in her capacity yes. as a representative of yes. her people. Exactly. Someone will have the audacity Yes. You know, to physically attack her. Exactly. This exactly. is the kind of language, the kind of uh, perceptions that have made it okay mm -hmm. for this kind of violence to come out. Okay. Because you can say it's just words, but it's never just words. Never. The words make it okay for the actions. This is a, has been a very interesting conversation. And uh, thank you so much for being here today, Mishimiwa. Thank you for sharing your experience, sharing the experiences of other women. And also thank you for fighting against gender-based violence and fighting as an insider, like you said. This has been uh, Inside Outsiders. Thank you to our listeners and uh, until the next episode.